This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles, if you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got a ton of stuff from the wrestling world, from all the major sporting leagues, comic books, new, old, signed memorabilia, you name it, they got it. Best thing is they ship worldwide, even better, they update daily. So please visit them at firstrow.ca. If you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Mega Man 3, Kingdom Hearts 2, GoldenEye 007, and so many others. Everything you see on their websites available in paperback and ebook format. So please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link, takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs. Anything you need or want, it is there. But the easiest thing, the best thing, the freest thing to do to support the show is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest is an assistant director who has worked on a ton of projects from TV to film and is the co-founder of Macroverse. Returning guest, Adam Martin. Hey, Steve. Thanks so much for having us back. I'm excited to be here. No, I am very excited myself, but my friend, we are not alone this time. You have brought someone else with you who is also the co-founder of Macroverse, oddly enough, who has pretty much worked on every type of entertainment from video games to comic books to TV, Eben Matthews. Hello, 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 hello. Very, very I feel like you need to be announced that way everywhere you go. There's something, you know, this is just a fantastic announcement, yes. That's the clip from the show. I'm just going to use that every every time I have a meeting with someone. I know, right? Put it on your phone. Just hold it up. And that's it. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for being here. Again, Adam, glad to have you back. Evan, first timer. 
before we get to Microverse, before we get to some projects and all that, let's get to know Eben a little bit. People know Adam, you know, big time, worked on Transformers, worked on a bunch of TV series. So we got into the nitty gritty of what Adam used to do before the Microverse. But you, you yourself, Eben, like I named it, entertainment, yeah. video games, TV, film, whatever you've worked on in the past. How did you get your foot dipped in entertainment and what was like the first project that got this whole yeah. ball started? So we're, we're going to end up talking a lot about comic books today. And of comic course. books is kind of where it starts where it starts for me. So I, I learned to read from comics. I you know, grew up pulling comics off the spinner rack in the you know, grocery stores and gas stations <laughs> of my youth. Um, and uh, you know, lamenting the cover price rise from 25 cents to 50 cents to 60 cents you know, so <laughs> and so forth and so on. That's funny. Uh, so comics have been a part of my life as long as I can remember i have you know as, as a as a lifelong collector i've got my 25 long boxes at this point wow and, you know, kind of on from there so it really does start for me you know with this love of this art form this kind of aspiration you know of course i i was the kid that thought i was going to grow up to be superman and then <laughs> realized i wasn't from krypton so i pivoted to batman because then i just needed to be a rich guy with cool toys Makes um, sense. you know so it's like you know the, the logic was very very clear um but you know, I, along with that, I've been drawing my whole life. So I you know, started oh. drawing when I was two years old. Okay. Uh, my mom and, and dad were both studio potters, so they were very supportive of, you know, kind of that creative endeavor, you know, kind of love of, of creativity and making marks on paper that turned into, <laughs> you know, lots of other things. And so I'm probably one of the few people that I, uh, my, my parents talked me out of going to law school to go to art school. So wow. I, I was like... <laughs> I, I, I watched them, and this is the this is kind of the, the double side of that coin. Like I was, they were feast and famine of that kind of creative life style, and I, you know, as a teenager, was like, I don't want that. I want to make money. <laughs> like you know, not have that struggle. And so I, you know, kind of turned towards thinking again, thinking I was going to go to law school. And my mom sat me down one day as in my junior or senior year of high school, and she mm-hmm. was like, look, if that's what you want to do, we'll support you. Right. But what do you actually do all the time? And it really was a, a wake-up moment for me to go like, oh, you know, maybe I could do this thing that I was passionate about, you know, as a career. And the, the, the you know, where it circles back in the comics is I've been fortunate enough as a, you know, as a younger teenager, you know, 14, I met a comic artist named Brian Stalfries, mm. um, who, you know, many people would know from his Shadow of the Bat run of covers and, you know, Black Panther with Ta-Nehisi Coates, just, you know, incredible comics artist. Mm-hmm. And not only incredible comics artist, incredible mentor to so many people, not just me, but I was one of those kids that he saw something in and I spent a whole Comic-Con, you know, kind of standing at his table talking to him and watching him draw and he kind of took me under his wing a little bit and so I would send, I would be drawing comic samples, sending them to him, getting, you know, his notes back and responses back and he really, you know, I went, so I went to art school, I went to, you know, Rodan School of Design, which is arguably one of the best art schools in the country and when I was there, he gave me the piece of advice that really shaped the rest of my career oh which is I had sent him a batch of, of pages of, you know, comic samples. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that remember, after Image launched, there was a company called Malibu Comics, which Image actually initially published through, and then once Image went off on their own, Malibu tried to follow in their footsteps and launch their whole 
uh, collection of characters. I had gotten an offer to draw comics professionally for Malibu mm. um, in my, you know, kind of the summer after I started, uh, after I got accepted to RISD. And so I had sent some pages to Brian and he gave me these, these notes back and he's like, look, if you want to draw comics, he's like, you're arguably at you know, one of the best art schools in the country. If that's what you decide you want to do, you're going to go through these four years of school, you know, you're going to come to the end of that. And if all you do is focus on wanting to draw comics, like you'll probably reach that goal. He's like, but why not get everything that you could possibly get through this experience, become the best version of yourself that you can be, learn as much as you can possibly learn, get exposed to, you know, all the people and, you know, different approaches that, you know, people are interested in the different talents that people have. And at the end of that period, if you want to pick that back up, it's going to be there for you. And if you find something else along the way, you know, all the better for it. And so weirdly, as I got to the end of RISD, um, instead of going off and drawing comics professionally, I recruited some of my professors and started a branding and media agency. So wow. I started my, my first company right out of Scott, right out of college. And, awesome. and um, you know, the first big project that I did kind of brings it full circle mm-hmm. as a starting point was I you know, got taken by one of my professors to uh, show my portfolio at MetLife, so, you know, big insurance uh, company. And so he was bringing me along really as kind of like, hey, you know, you're about to graduate. You got some good, you know, work in your portfolio, but come along and kind of see what this is like. You know, he's, he was going for this job and he was like, you know, I'm going to show them my stuff. You, know, you show them your stuff and, you know, give me a good experience for, you know, this kind of how you go and get a, an illustration job. And so, you know, we went, we shared our portfolios, we had a meeting, and then I got the job. <laughs> so Crazy. that was the thing that really kicked off my career. And so as I'm graduating, you know, from college, I'm also doing this massive project for being a Fortune 500 company, <laughs> not sleeping, you know, sleeping two hours a night for like the last, you know, three, four months of college. Sure. Um, but it gave me enough kind of like real world experience, you know, made a bunch of money off of that project. And so as a, you know, someone that's just graduated college to go like, Oh, like now I've actually got a nice little chunk of change and I've got this credit and can now go and kind of like start this thing. That's what I did. And so I started this, you know, agency, we ended up making uh, children's books for target and, you know, all kinds of interesting work along the way, moved to California. There's a whole side story about almost almost going to work at ILM on the Star Wars prequels, which oh, you, know, wow. you can go to if, if you want to. Um, whole funny story there. But ended up in Ojai, California, which is about uh, an hour, well, hour and a half or so north of LA. And uh, that was where, you know, I kind of continued to build out the, the company that I was building and somewhere along that road as where Adam and I met, and uh, cool. there's a there's a funny story about that as well. If we want to go, no, there. please, because because um, Adam shared the origin <laughs> stories of the macroverse, but I don't know the origin stories of you two gentlemen meeting. So let's yeah. let's hear it. <laughs> so so I had there's a there's a wonderful woman and her husband uh, uh, Sarah and Peter Bellwood who live in Ojai, California. Also, shout out to Lucy, their daughter, who is a phenomenal comics artist up in her own right, mm-hmm. coincidentally. Yep. Um, but uh, Peter Bellwood is probably best known for having worked, uh, co-written the script for the Highlander uh, movie, um, and uh, we became friends with them in Ojai, and then they introduced us uh, to Adam and his wife Miata. At that time, 
expecting their first child. Nice. Um, so we had it, it was now 21. So yes. wow, <laughs> this goes way back. Uh, this goes way back. And uh, what was me on a six months pregnant at the time? Something, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So we met, and the context for that meeting, funnily right. enough, was me recruiting Adam and Miata into this network marketing company, which is all about telecom. Mm. Um, and so I don't even remember how I got exposed to this thing, but it was kind of <laughs> like if you could get paid for people using their phone the way that they all that they do right now, then yep. wouldn't you want to? Or like. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> so, so that was an interesting kind of, you know, year, what, two years of, uh, yeah. a couple, that was a kind of two year detour in the midst of everything else, kind of, you know, going down this weird network marketing path. But the thing that came out of it is this 20 plus year friendship and creative relationship that Adam and I have now developed. And so over the course of becoming friends through that, uh, through that experience, what we realized very quickly is like, we like the same movies. We had, you know, kind of the same tastes and, you know, the stuff that we you know, resonated with and kind of similar ambitions in some areas. Right. And I think, you know, I, I just very clearly remember this kind of one night at my house in Ohio, we're outside, we're you know, probably smoking a cigar and drinking some whiskey. Nice. Which is a, a pretty common uh, creative enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and this kind of moment where I was like, you know what? Like, we, this is like post '90s Hollywood, you know Tarantino, uh, Rodriguez, the best time. Inspiration for like you know, just, right, yeah. The, but it was the era, the energy of like you could go do something yourself. Like right, you didn't have to be constrained by you know just getting a, a studio movie or you know like like this was a, a moment in time where it felt like you could just put the pieces together, grab some friends, mm-hmm. you know, go make a movie, and so. We were like, you know, that's what we want to do. We want to, you know, let's let's write a movie. Let's become famous directors. Let's go do that thing. Of course. Yeah, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have had those conversations, but we did actually write a screenplay and yeah, got going. Um, and we wrote a TV pilot, which got you know pretty close. Uh, which again, it, it literally got killed by The Walking Dead. So there's a whole story there as well. Wow. Um, Timing is everything, as they say. There's a lot of stories. This is 20, 20 years of, <laughs> of stories. Oh, yeah. but, uh, but we kind of found our way from writing, you know, what we thought would be film and television into the, the game world together. And so we ended up spending a decade, kind of the next chapter of our work together was creating game content uh, primarily. And so we you know, were writing, directing, and producing um, stories for games, and then along the way, pioneered this whole motion comics thing. Which mm-hmm. you know, there we were very early in the that that idea of being able to take drawn artwork and animation and marry those things together and create what you know, kind of an interesting animation aesthetic uh, from Actually, that process. Well, you were given your interest in MMA. We worked on yeah. an MMA game. We did a bunch of bunch yeah. of story content for a, a console title called Supremacy MMA. Supremacy uh, MMA, yeah. As I recall, not very well received, but was a lot of fun to work on. Well, what's funny, anyone who's who's interested, go Google Supremacy MMA. It's got a little, it's got a little fandom. It is interesting. Mm -hmm. It's got a little group of people that that love that game. And the the real distinction for that was it was in the era where UFC games were starting to come out on console. Okay. And so this was the this was the cage fighting, you know, underground fighting version. 
Um, and so we, what was so fun about that as a side note is like, uh-huh. we spent cool. a lot of time talking with and interviewing like real fighters. So all the oh, fighters cool. in the game were real fighters. And, and mm-hmm. so, um, you know, getting to, you know, both, both female and male, uh, you know, MMA fighters and then basing these stories, they were fiction, but basing these stories right. and characters on their real experiences and then creating all the animation and content that went along with that so that was our first big project in games it's also where we met the third co-founder of macroverse so you know when next time we'll have we'll have him on as well we can, sure. can do this uh do this whole full circle um but that's what led to you know working in games together and writing together and really our our writing you know collaborative partnership and creative partnership came through doing a lot of that kind of work and then it was you know, three and a half years ago or so now, well, actually a little longer than that, probably four years ago, where we started really thinking about and getting a, you know, a little more serious about what would become Macroverse. And there's really two things that were the, the origin point for that. One is I got back into the comics industry by doing a graphic novel for the Boondock Saints. Yep. Um, and so I uh, had an incredible experience doing that. But I came out of the Boondock Saints experience going, all right, I love comics. You know, we've established I've been involved with comics as a fan and to some degree as a creative person, you know, for my entire life. And that experience of creating that graphic novel was both incredibly exciting and also at the end of it kind of a little disheartening in that what I saw was the barrier for independent comics creators to Mm. be successful in comics is just unbelievable in some ways. Like the, the one in a million shot to not just, you know, forget about having a hit, like just making a living as a comics creator um, is very challenging. And so that was something that we felt like, you know, we love this medium. We want to do more work. We want to tell more stories. We want to create more of our own content you know, in this medium, but we didn't want to do it that way. And so that combined with this experience in creating apps and working in games. And you know, at that point I had done a bunch of digital, you know, kind of work as well as right. far as user interface and, you know, kind of working on products and helping to create products. And so all those things came together as kind of like, okay, we want to make comics. The comics industry is broken. Nobody's taking digital seriously. You know, mm-hmm. is there something here that, you know, we could do something special around? And that was the, the initial kind of origin point that kind of led to what has now become Macroverse. Um, and then here we are. No, that's so awesome. Yeah, that is a great story. And yeah, you meant, like, just there alone, like, you go from comic books to Star Wars to MMA. Like, you know, like, you know what I mean? And I love that because I'm sort of the same way, too. Like, people don't realize, like, I love pro wrestling, but I also love video games. But I also love, like, horror movies. I love comic. Like, you know what I mean? So why not merge stuff together? And, like, because I hate when it's like, oh, you're, you're so-called nerd, but you're into sports and MMA. I'm like, yeah, why not? Like, Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. So hopefully this won't be offensive. You'll have to like check me on on uh, how how this lands. So I was having this conversation years ago, you know, like in the context of you know, okay, I'm a huge comic geek. At that point, especially, I could tell you everything about like the stats for you know 50 years of Spider-Man and okay. like the Marvel Comics Handbook and like you know all of that. And then I was talking to somebody who's like a much bigger sports fan than me. And that's like, you know, and, and I thought this, this was his insight and that very insightful to go like, you know, I could tell you everything about, you know, so 
so-and-so baseball player for the last 50 sure. years. It's not actually that different. It's just like we're obsessed <laughs> about different things. <laughs> right? It makes uh, so much sense. But are you guys MMA fans when you guys took on the, the project of Supremacy? Yeah, I mean, I say for me, like I became an MMA fan over the course of doing the project. Okay. And then... Yep kind of let it go, you know, as we moved on to the next thing. So I, I retained an interest in it. I ended up randomly being an assistant director on this show, Kingdom. That's right. That was on, uh, uh, I can't remember, like the AT&T network or something. And, and uh, you know, it was about an MMA school, like a family of MMA fighters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, a, a tough show in some ways, um, but we had a few, uh, we had a few like serious fighters coming through and yep. that actually... Because I had grown up and done, I'd been doing like, you know, karate and then full contact taekwondo at university. And I, so I loved, I loved that world again, having, as Evan said, kind of reconnected through this, this game project and talking to the fight come out of the Midwest. It was like, yeah, I was like going to a barn in the middle of cornfields in the middle of fucking nowhere, just beating <laughs> the shit out of some other guy. And <laughs> That was my, and then finally, someone saw me, and we kind of graduated from the barn, like to the bar, right? And to the this, and just like so, this is some crazy. I mean, just like crazy stories from from these guys coming up, which was amazing, you know. Uh, and just was, I don't know, got the got the got the enthusiasm back, uh, which has been fun. It's been good. No, that's cool to hear. Yeah, because it's, I'm always interested in people who are like good at what they do, like yourselves but don't really know much about the subject. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know how hard it is to make up a story versus being a fanboy and making up a story, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think it's, you know, the, 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 I'd say the advantage we had with that project in particular, and it's, I think, something that most, quote-unquote, good writers um, <laughs> would, you know, generally agree with, is that, you know, you do need a certain level of immersion in the thing that you're wanting to write about and then once you once you have that then it really comes down to a very core set of things that people care about so Mm. it's like you know the the journey that we go through the human element of you know wanting to succeed or wanting to prove people you know that thought you weren't gonna amount to anything wrong or you know it's like whatever those kind of different Mm. motivations are it always comes back to you know things that are generally kind of broadly uh, applicable to a, a large set of people because we're just talking about human experiences with the context of you know whatever the the world the story the the life that you're kind of moving into through that uh, through that storyline. Now, how difficult or different was it working from say TV and film to a video game? Because again, the direction's different, the cuttings like everything is like you, you know you're working with the constraints of a computer versus human beings, right? So how was it navigating from going to like real, I guess, form to a video game format? It's interesting. It wasn't, and I think it's a lot of the same. I mean, look, this was 12 years ago, I want to say, plus, right? Maybe even a bit more than this game, 15, possibly. Um, so it was a good long time ago, and we were doing everything in this kind of motion comic, motion graphics around what, you know, what you could do with your shots that, you know, you, you know, doing kind of a, you know, wrap around that, you know, Michael Bay, low angle circle track shot, as it were, sure. that is easy to do in television. It would, was just completely impossible for us in this, given the parameters of that. So I think you have to kind of embrace 
some of those restrictions. But I often, but I feel like in television in general, you're working within certain constraints anyway. Like unless you are Chris Nolan, Michael Bay, <laughs> uh, you know, J.J. Abrams, like there's those Another handful of mega filmmakers now where it's just like, oh no, go, yes, no. You, you can do whatever you want and no one will say no. And I occasionally feel like, they would make better movies if people did say no to some degree. Um, whereas television, you're always it's all you're always negotiating between what does the script want to say, how many hours in a day do we have, how many shots do I want to get, what scene do I want to spend my time on. These are all the choices directors are making, and somewhere in there is an equation of. You get 12 hours, so you can take six hours on this one scene, mm -hmm. but then you let it bloody well shoot these other three scenes in two hours apiece. Otherwise, you're not making your day, and we're never coming back here, and then you haven't done the show, and that's bad. So sure. I feel like it's it was just another set of parameters around that, and we, we did have the fun of a lot of leeway within those parameters to kind okay. of create the stories that we wanted and to cast the people and to do what we were. So... You know, you can. The nice thing about doing voiceover and animation is it's you can kind of have a cast of hundreds if you want. It doesn't really cost you that much more. Whereas in television, it's like, oh, if you're going to do a gigantic scene outside the Tower of London, ah, good point. Well, that's going to cost some money. But you want to go get those images and put them in and shoot a scene there in animation. Okay, it's not that much more. You know, yeah. The other thing, which you know, this is this is one of the things that I. It is is one of the things that the byproduct of all the different things that Adam and I have been able to work on together is that because it's gone from writing for film and TV to animation to very stylized kind of motion comic animation to games to comics to you know, chat fiction and all kinds of new media oh, kinds God. of things, the narrative audio, like we've worked on, you know, all of these different formats. And so I think one of the things we've gotten very good at, and it's, it's something I always encourage, you know, everyone that's kind of looking at any particular type of format is to be able to really try to understand what the strengths and weaknesses of that particular format are. Mm -hmm. So when you're you know, doing something, just as Adam says, it's like when you're doing something for TV, there's a particular set of constraints that exist there. If you're doing something that's purely meant to be consumed as audio, there's a very different set of constraints that you know, exist there. And so being able to really understand what are the strengths of this medium, what are the weaknesses of this medium, and how do you maximize the story that you're telling for that format, I think is, is something that I think we've gotten quite good at and also allows us to kind of jump between these different things and bring them together in unique and interesting ways, um, you know, in the context of storytelling, world building, you know, kind of leaning into those different formats for those purposes. And same thing with comics, bringing it back around. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Okay, and the other thing, like I said, you mentioned Star Wars prequel. Okay, please. Re let's rewind. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Been a fanboy forever. So this is a quick version of that. So, yes, go for so it. So in addition to my lifelong comics fandom, Star Wars is the other kind of North Star of yep, my, definitely. My, yep. my, my geek fandom yep. for sure. And so, you know, while I can sit here and give you all the complaints that many fanboys have, you know, over the, the last couple of decades, at the core of my being, I am still on that hero's journey. Yep. So, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so when I, you know, when the prequels got announced, right. you know, I was absolutely as excited as anyone could have been. This is like right after Kenner started re-releasing the, you know, 
first waves of new action figures, and I was, you know, scouring the shelves at Target every <laughs> week for, you know, trying to find those. I was still in Rhode Island. There was actually a Hasbro store in Rhode Island, and we had a friend that worked at Hasbro, so I would get to go, like, get stuff early at the nice. Hasbro store. So I've got, like, the long lightsaber. I mean, we're getting deep here. I got, <laughs> you know, long lightsabers. I got, like, you know, the one of the misprint cards for uh, uh, Lando, like, you know, some of that some of that kind of, like, real grail stuff, especially at the time. So right. super excited. Prequels are coming. I'm graduating college. You know, I've done this MetLife job, you know, everything we talked about. I was just like, you know what, like the dream job for me would be to go work on these Star Wars prequels. Like character design has always been one of my kind of creative loves. Like, you know, that's like something I, I really feel like I'm, I'm good at. And it's like this kind of world building through what, you know, how through through the medium of like how characters exist in a world, um, what they look like, what kind of stuff do they have, like, you know, all those things. And so I was like, if I could go work in the art department on these prequels, like that would be a dream come true. And so, you know, I didn't know anybody at Lucasfilm, couldn't find anybody at Lucasfilm. Okay. I was like, I'm just one of those people where it's like, if I get determined enough about it, it's like occasionally I'll just do something kind of crazy. And so the crazy thing for me was like, I'm just going to fly to San Francisco, <laughs> um, go to San Rafael and try to find someone physically there to you know, show this portfolio to and, and try to get in the door nice. by sheer determination and luck. <laughs> so, so I did that, went to San Francisco, mm-hmm. went to San Rafael, I managed to track down, and this is like pre-internet, pre-iPhones, like, you know, so managed to track down through the phone book, Steve Sansweet, who anyone who might have seen old documentaries on, you know, Star Wars collectibles, like Steve Sansweet was the guy, he used to be employed by Lucasfilm mm-hmm. to be like the cataloger of everything ever produced oh, wow. by Lucasfilm the movie so it's like warehouses of every single action right. figure every single book every single thing that ever got you know produced as a collectible so i managed to track him down and through whatever sheer force of will luck spirit whatever you know he told me the person i needed to be in touch with was doug chang so doug mm-hmm. chang was the lead you know concept artist head of the art department mm-hmm. on the uh, on the prequels and so I started going through the phone book, calling anyone that could be a Doug Chang, <laughs> and, and then finally did, in fact, get the right one on the wow. phone. And I was like, I flew out here. I've got my portfolio. Like, this is the like number one thing I want to do. Like, can we meet for coffee? I'll just show you what I've got. And, you know, if it's a no-go, it's a no-go, but at least I've done everything I could possibly do to, to make this happen. And he's like, well, where are you? And I told him the street that I was on. And he's like, okay, you're just around the corner. Oh. You know, come over yeah. and uh, you know, show me what you got. So <laughs> just around the corner, turns out, is about an hour and a half away. Um, but we have our meeting. I, I find him. We connect. I show him my work. He likes the work. Like, all that could not have gone possibly better. Right. And then the, the kind of magic moment in there is that, you know, the street that I was staying on is the same street name as one that literally was just around the corner from oh. uh, So So he thought, you know, like you're on this street, yeah. you really are like a block and a half away, That's and here hilarious. I am an hour and a half away, but, you know, it's like he, he didn't know that until after <laughs> we met. So 
the the anticlimactic part of that story is uh-huh. that my portfolio then kind of went into the abyss, and I ended up tracking, you know, like connecting with somebody else that he passed it on to, and so it kind sure. of got like a couple steps further down the road. And I I still feel like I probably could have followed that to that job. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least to, you know, kind of the next stages. And at that same Christmas, uh, the, the other, you know, the, the fateful part of it is that, you know, that same Christmas, my dad got diagnosed with prostate cancer oh, and also found out that you know, my stepmom was cheating on him. And so, so that was the kind of like, I let the Lucasfilm dream go. That was part of what had me move to Ojai because that was mm. where they were, and so I wanted to be there to support them. And I have a fourteen-year-old, uh, fourteen-year younger uh, half brother, so I wanted to be there for him. Right. And so that was kind of the pivot into like really going down the agency road instead of going, you know, towards Lucasfilm. Right. But if I had gone there, Adam and I probably never would have met, and it would be a whole different yeah. life. So be a very different yeah. thing. It's very it's funny. Just a funny, funny story, but uh, but just the fact that like Crazy. we got to connect and got right? to show him my work, and you liked it, and it was that kind of like, oh, you're just around the corner moment. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's super. well. Everyone always puts hate on the prequels. I'm not about hate. I'm about love here. Yeah. So, what is yeah, your yeah, favorite yeah. prequel, or what is your favorite thing about the prequels? How about that from both of you? So, I, I mean. I think Revenge of the Sith is legitimately a very fun movie. I think and there so are too. Parts, and there are and there are parts of the other two which I don't dislike as well. So I mean, I mm-hmm. they've, they've I actually was a pretty staunch defender of them for a while. Okay, and came around to like hating on them a bit more. Now I've come around a bit more to. I think you know the the context that I now hold the prequels in is that okay. there is an entire generation that grew up with those as their Star Wars movies Makes and sense. don't hate them, and that does actually equate to something for me. And the best part of their prequels, in my opinion, is actually the Clone Wars TV show. TV show. Oh, so like, good point. So, yeah. Like, that series is amongst the best Star Wars I think has ever been produced I think once so. you get to season three. So, I think season one and two are kind of rough, but once you get, like, three through six or whatever it is, I think it's some of the best Star Wars has been made. Good point. And we wouldn't have Ahsoka, too, right? So, look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, very, very true. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think my – I was so – because I – my first – the first movie I ever saw in the theaters was Star Wars. Like, okay. I remember being taken to that at the age of four by my mom, wow. being scared of the monster yeah. in, the, in the trash compactor, <laughs> like, all that stuff, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I was, and then, you know, in my, just in my career, I've met a lot of famous people, and I generally don't care. I got to work with Mark Hamill one for one day, mm. and I was so starstruck I could barely speak. Like I was just <laughs> insane. So, like, yeah, I remain a colossal Star Wars fan. And yeah. looking back at the prequels, it's funny because for both of my kids, and I got a twenty-one-year-old and a sixteen-year-old, mm-hmm. we did watch all the original movies, and then we watched the prequels. And they, when they were little, they loved the prequels. Okay. But going back and seeing them again. Pretty sure. universally, their response is, "Oh God, okay, this actually isn't very good, is it?" <laughs> like, and for me, I really, I remember seeing episode, whatever episode, the second episode, the, the clone, the Attack of the Clones in the in the in the theaters, and mm-hmm. quite enjoying it. I find that unwatchably bad now. <laughs> uh, like, I just can't, I can't it handle is. it. It is uh, hard. 
well, uh, then you have sequences in all, in the other two movies. So, like the pod race and the the Darth Maul fight in the yeah. first movie, just fantastic action sequences. Yeah. And then the the lightsaber fight between Darth Vader and Anakin in the final one. Oh yeah, there Come are on. pieces of that that first attack that he does that is legitimately just incredible. It's just one of the great sword fights ever put on film. Like, yeah. so, you know, there are these, like, but I find it almost, those almost make the lack of quality in the rest of the movie more annoying. Like, hang on a second. If you had spent half as much time creating, like, vaguely decent characters or some That's vaguely coherent yeah. plot as you did creating this awesome lightsaber fight, I, we might have cared a bit more. But it's a yeah. minor complaint. This is a complaint from a deep-rooted fan. <laughs> of course. You know, uh, yes. Meanwhile, to really stir up some controversy, there is oh. a two-hour episode of our own podcast that we put out for a while for okay. anyone that wants to go track this down, which is my full defense of The Last Jedi. Um, so very, very hot hot take uh, on that one. Um, and to me, there is no Star Wars movie that fails as badly as the last of the sequel movies. Uh, so I yeah. would pretty much agree. I would yeah. pretty- <laughs> see. I've had this conversation in the past with other guests too regarding where I love the take where everyone is different who loves Star Wars, but we don't hate each yeah. other. Like you know what I mean, if that makes yeah. sense. But there's a little yeah. bit of everything because like, you have Andor now, which pleases like our generation because yeah. we're older, wow. so we grew up with Star Wars. But then I also love anything to do with Jedi's. So Ahsoka came out of nowhere and it was like, holy shit, this is fantastic too. Like, and then you have the Mandalorian, which has nothing to do with Jedi. Well, I guess you got, you got Goku now there, but still he really doesn't know too much of the force. So you can't really count. But at first it was all about the Mandalorian. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, so there's a little bit of everything. And then you got the animated series. You you could go back, you can read your novels, you can read the comic books. Like, If you don't like a certain part of Star Wars, there's something for you in the universe. And that's what I love about what Lucas created. I, I completely agree. And now my hope, you know, my hope for the Star Wars universe as a fan and as a creator is that they are now brave enough to move beyond everything that we've known and explore some new territory. And that, to me, is why Andor was so successful is it felt like we're very much still in the Star Wars universe. There's no question we're in the Star Wars universe. But despite its tie-in to Rogue One, like this was something new. It exactly. Felt new, had a different tone, had a different mm-hmm. experience. And that doesn't mean everything needs to be more mature in the way of that I think some people you know, responded to Andor. But I think I'm ready for stuff you know, in the Star Wars universe that's like, show me new characters, new areas, new conflicts, mm-hmm. new things that you know, we haven't explored yet. And then at the same time, you know, I very much did enjoy Ahsoka as well, and you know, I'm happy to keep re- revisiting some of that. But I think we need we need both now to kind of fuel the mm-hmm. nostalgia that we all have as fans, and to genuinely open up you know, new territory at the same time. Well, there was that interesting moment where they were where they had recruited um, Benny, David Benioff and Weiss, right, from Game of Thrones, to go and do a, what was theorized as what Knights of the Old Republic, mm-hmm. and that would have been really interesting. Like that yeah. would have been a great series because I think I have a fundamental problem with prequels, spin-off series, all these other things, prequels especially when. It was the huge failing of like Solo, and it was one of the reasons for me that Andor, as much as I liked it, there's still this fundamental underpinning of of of, of uh, not failure, but just of it of lack of tension. Sure. Is because if you're doing a prince prequel about a main character that you know shows up later, uh, there is suddenly zero stakes for that character because 
you know, fundamentally, yeah. you know they survived. Of course. And that's one of the reasons I think actually Rogue One worked as well as it did, is it tied beautifully into this world, but mm-hmm. it created a whole lot of set of characters, and they all fucking died. And that was... <laughs> right? <laughs> you did care, because you didn't know who was going to go, or what yeah. this was. Or what. Good and point. I, that was really smart, whereas Solo, great, it's about Han Solo and Chewie and Lando Carusian. We know they all survive. So when Chewie's hanging off the side of the train, it's going to be really scary. It's like fundamentally, no, don't care. I know he survives. Like, yeah. See, matter. that was my I thoughts. I, I had those same thoughts when Obi-Wan came out. The same thing. Like, you know Princess Leia is going to survive everything. Like, you know what I mean? So yes. it's like, but I still loved it because you got to see Obi-Wan yeah. again versus Darth Vader. And who doesn't want to see that? Like, I'll take that and every that day. That was cool. That was, that was, that was another great Star Wars fight. Except yeah. the whole time he's like, I'm going to go kill Darth Vader because I have to kill Darth Vader. And then I get a chance to kill Darth Vader. And I'm not going to kill Darth Vader. It's bad storytelling. I know. Sorry. It was. Just sloppy. It was. Bad scripts. But hey, sloppy scripts could still be fun, right? So, oh, it can absolutely still be fun. There's not the, denying the, that. What my favorite is littered with fun sloppy scripts. <laughs> my favorite podcast. How did this get made? Do you know that one, Steve? No, I know a TV show that used to be called oh, How Did This Get Made. This, yes. It's great. So it's okay. it's it's uh, it's actually a buddy of ours, uh, Paul Shear, his wife June Diana Raphael, okay. and uh, another comedian Jason Manzukas. Like really smart filmmakers, but really funny, talented comedians. Okay, nice. And they watch a they'll watch a bad movie, okay. and then they'll break down what it is, what they oh. liked about, it, what they didn't like about it, why it works, why it doesn't work, sure. why it makes no sense. But like, and it's just it's like. They, they're such fans of movies and they're so movie literate oh, that it's awesome. always really interesting, but it also tends to be just very, very funny. It's great. Yeah. Oh, that's the Definitely best. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, the last time I had you on, Adam, too, I asked you if you ever wanted to work with other franchises or teams. And now the Macroverse has teamed up with Stupid Buddy Studios, the team behind Robot Chicken. Come on, man! Like it's like we put this out in the universe when we last talked. <laughs> oh my it's... gosh, Steve! Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'll take full credit. I'll take full credit. <laughs> full credit, right here. <laughs> like, yes, dude, you're right. Yeah, yeah. No, let's let's we cut you in on this. Yeah. No, it's awesome. It's so exciting, and it is. It's funny because it's like. Um, I mean, I, you know, I've been so lucky in my assistant director career that I basically spent the last 10 years in comedy. And there is something, and it's been with a lot of just ridiculously talented comedians and smart writers. And, and there's something just so, it's just such fun. It, despite working long days, difficult, you know, right. you know of production is hard. Still and works. fundamentally, if you're doing something where you are just trying to make people laugh and you are laughing all day and you're pitching jokes and people are picking those up and you're bouncing, there's that energy is so exciting to be around. Of and I, it's something I've missed in the last couple of years. And it's so exciting. I'm going to interrupt for one second just to tease the people listening to this point because we're going to talk about this project. It's an, it's going to be very cool and very fun. You're going to want to know more about it. You're, it I'm going to go ahead and spoil the, the surprise that we're doing it as a Kickstarter. You're going to want to back it. And if you stick around to the end, Adam is going to tell you about casting dicks. That's the, that's the, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Now for sure. Everyone's going to stay tuned. 
That's yeah. great. <laughs> do this to me occasionally. He'd be like, "All right, Adam. All right, we got. We're trying to kill. A, we're killing a couple of minutes. We're waiting for a guest to come or something." Right. Adam, tell the dick story again. Oh, <laughs> it's a go-to. You'll know why. But uh, all right, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> oh my goodness! But yeah, stupid buddy, stupid buddy, and and what Adam was about to say, and I'll, I'll let you say it is no, this no. Right. wonderful combination of elements that has been him working in comedy and us working in comics and all the stuff we've been building at Macroverse and stupid buddy kind of brings those together in this incredibly beautiful way. And so, so handing it back to you. Yeah, no, it's great. And it's, it's been, you know, I think, you know, they are, you know, obviously so well known for robot chicken. I, you know, their series that they've got on Hulu right now is called crossing swords. Mm. And, you know, when we were, you know, starting to talk to them, whatever I started, you know, started watching a couple of episodes and I've been deep diving on that as I've been starting to write the, the Von Dingle series, which is this, you know, crazy, crazy world that asks the question, you know, what happens to Easter eggs that don't get found after an Easter egg hunt? They grow little arms and legs, and they run off, and they have little Easter egg, little uh, little little you know communities that they they have, and they develop their own lives, and they they live out rich and fruitful existences away from the human eyes, awesome. um, and it's completely crazy and such fun and so in keeping with their kind of style and watching um, Crossing Swords on Hulu again, it's just. It, they're so funny and they're so smart and it's interesting and it's clever, but it's also there's this underlying sweetness to everything that they right. do. Like they lead characters tend to be very truly good, sweet people who want to do the right mm-hmm. thing in the face of adversity. And this, and bringing that same, you know, we, we're going a little more family friendly with their style um, with okay. this with this series. Um, but that's also its own having some of that edge and some of that fun that they have in their other work in this slightly more family friendly context is is it's just fascinating and funny fun and funny and they as a team i mean Evan, it's been a while since we've been on these kinds of calls but like you know you're trying to have business calls and you've only got 30 minutes to to get through something <laughs> and you're spending the first 20 minutes laughing because oh everyone's pitching jokes and cracking each other up and have these ideas and it's like, all right, all right, That's shut awesome. up a second. We've got to actually make a decision on this thing, right? <laughs> you know, but it's, uh, it's, it's so great. It's so yeah. great. I think you know, and just to, to give a little more context, so you know, Stephen Buddy, obviously, you know, well known for Robot Chicken. I, I've been, you know, a consummate consumer of Robot Chicken since it hit the airwaves, and you know, everything that they've done, and I think the real kind of pioneers of stop motion for television in a lot of ways as well. Yeah. Good point. Um, And so, you know, their, their range of things that they've created over the past, you know, 20 years as a studio actually is pretty mind boggling stuff that maybe, you know, some people don't even realize like some of the Simpsons couch gas and, you know, mm. the, the costumes for the masked singer is, you know, stuff that came out of their studio. So they've done this mm. incredible body of work. And then this is their first foray into the world of graphic novels and into comics. And so we were fortunate enough to get connected to them. And I think it's actually something we've, we, we can kind of claim a, a little bit of a, of a role in that we've developed over the past handful of years is helping to kind of Sherpa people that have never made comics and graphic novels yes. into the world of comics and graphic novels. And I think because we speak film and television and animation, we you know, are quite 
able to help the people that are from that world kind of cross over into the world of comics and graphic novels and nice. where do those skill sets line up and what are some things you need to keep in mind that are a little different and you know kind of tying back into some of our conversation earlier and so as it's turned out with this series you know harv uh harvard harvard team Harvard team, yes, the fourth, thank you, um, who is one of the, the owners of Robot Chicken, well, creators of Robot Chicken, one of the owners of Stupid Buddy with you know Seth Green and mm-hmm. their other partners. Um, you know, So Harv is the creator of this world, Von Mingles, okay. and then he and Adam are co-writing the book together. Nice. So we've got this incredible artist that we've worked with over the past you know handful of years who's come on to illustrate it, named Patrick Williams. Um, and it's just been this incredible joy to, you know, bring the stupid buddy robot chicken crossing swords, you know, sensibility to a new art form. And so of I think course. to me, that's one of the things that's most exciting is kind of getting that aesthetic that we like over here in animation and getting to see it expressed in a new way here in, you know, as a comic and graphic novel. And then there'll be, you know, other stuff that comes from that down the road as well. Nice. But Harv has this whole world of, you know, what are these Mondingles? Oh, and how does it that's work? awesome. And like how do they interact with each other and how do these societies spring up? And right. even the name Mondingles comes from, you know, these eggs gathering around this like hundred year old beer cans that have been abandoned, you know, <laughs> off to, in some, you know, sequestered area where they the, the name of the beer company is the von mingles beer company and right. so they become the von mingles and uh, and uh you know this centers on our our hero clark who is a an outcast he's a, you know he's got friends but he's a little bit an outcast because he doesn't have a face where everybody else has a face <laughs> and so that creates interesting story challenges but also sure. some fun areas to play with and then there's a half egg half robot which you know the jokes just never stop coming called the pecker so you know i just i so desperately want to call this thing the pecker rises but you know i I, (laughs) on that one Uh, and uh, and so you know this this it's just there's so many fun elements coming together and being able to to do this with them and do it in this medium that we love uh, is really just a joy and we think people are gonna love it who decide to come along for the ride no, what I've seen and what I've heard so far looks amazing. Like Adam sent me some artwork from it, and it looks like it looks like almost a video game. Like I could see this being eventually into a video game series. That, Speaking of video games, like you know what I mean. Yeah. And it, it just looks so Very clean fun. and crisp. It looks it looks good. Like and it's yeah. different. That's the yeah. other thing. Like you're looking at this, yeah. like oh, I actually want to see what this is about. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's a big shout out to Patrick. So Patrick is the artist. Again, we worked with him on a couple of other things. He's got a series. We, you know, we haven't even mentioned we have a, a mobile app which is on iOS and Android, which yep. has about you know 50, 50 different series on it right now. Mm-hmm. But Patrick did a series for the app called Basic Space. And what I fell in love with about with Patrick's work, so you know, again, lifelong comics fan. I would say it ten more times by the time the show is over. But I remember so clearly, like, the early days of the 80s indie, like, the first wave of indie comics, which, like, Ninja Turtles, Uh, you know, like, that kind of raw, kind of rougher kind of, you know, style. So you've got, you know, on the one hand, you've got, you know, the the tail end of, like, the Jack Kirby era. You've got the kind of Neil Adams, you know, very clean, like, heroic, you know, kind of figure work happening at Marvel DC. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, this, like, black and white, rough indie kind of explosion of you know creative work starts to hit comics ninja turtles probably being the the high water mark as far as the characters that people know from that era but patrick's work to me 
fits this kind of very interesting middle ground between having this kind of indie aesthetic in some of his line work and his kind of drawing style, but also this very polished professional, you know, kind of caliber to the illustration work that he does. And, and he actually uh, is, is a, you know, professional, you know, he's been a professional comics artist and graphic novelist mm-hmm. for a you know, decade. He runs the art department and oversees the kind of comics and graphic novel nice. department at one of the art schools here in California. Um, so it's like, you know, this is not only something that he does himself, but helps you know, other people learn how to do and teaches this art form. And so it's just, uh, it's been so cool working with him and then with Harv and Adam on the story to kind of find what does this world look like? And so, you know, going through the, the character design process and now creating like little comic strips, which we've been you know, starting to, to put out as well. Um, they have been but, such fun to do. It has to be said. And I think that was, you know, there was this kind of, we knew there was this world with these three characters, you know, Clark and his two friends, Vigor and Brittle. Right. And, uh, looking at, okay, we, you know, we knew in it out of the gates for the Kickstarter, for the campaign. It was like, okay, a little bit of comic space. We kind of wanted to set up this, this big story that we were trying to tell, but then we just also wanted to have fun in this world. And so, you know, Evan and I were chatting. I was like, look, let's, let's start just brainstorming some of these little three panel strip ideas you have these three characters they can be funny we put them in different strips and it's you know you've got a you know you're onto a good a good core concept mm. when you cannot stop spitting out funny ideas for these things and that's just been the that's been the thing it was like oh wait we've got you know i can sit down for 30 minutes and rattle out five of these and evan throws another half dozen in here <laughs> and it's just you know before you got it you could do like wait we've got a whole fucking book of these things that we can just do <laughs> quite aside from anything else like yeah. that's when you know you've got a cool idea that's when that's where i think the the better the fun of what half put together and created in this world and then the fun we get to have playing Playing in it, that's when you know you've got something that really works. You know, when it's so easy me, to be creative in this world. Let, let me play the role of uh, shameless self-promotion. So Please. we are we are super excited about this project. We're about seventy-five percent funded on Kickstarter right now. So we would wow. you know, absolutely love anyone that hears the show to go check it out. Consider backing the project. Don't consider backing the project. If you like Robot Chicken, if you liked anything we've talked about today, back the project. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be awesome. And, and one of the rewards is a free year in our app, which is oh, yeah. wow. So everyone that is good. It also gets, yes, that's true. Everyone that backs it gets a free year on the app, which is worth 50 bucks in and right? of itself. That's um, awesome. And the thing I so desperately want to see happen. So Harv threw himself in the line of fire here quite literally. Once we hit that, uh, that, uh, funding goal, we are going to record live a slow motion video of Harv being egged. So this is, uh, you know, one, one of the co-founders of, of robot chicken and, and, uh, stupid buddy studios, we will be live streaming him getting, egged in the face in the head with you know, <laughs> that's eggs. awesome you know yolk yolk splattering everywhere and we will also capture it in slow motion to share with everyone who backs the campaign so if it wasn't cool enough already come on that is worth your, your you know <laughs> harder shekels uh, and it has said he has a magnificent beard i mean yeah. steve's yours is not bad his <laughs> is is like full viking oh wow um, yes. okay gotcha but the idea of eggs getting into yeah. that is oh Oh no, that's even worse. Oh yes. <laughs> oh man. So yes, please support the the cause just for that alone. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's a, okay. One last thing before I let you guys go, and we wrap this up, and you get to promote some more stuff. 
Now, we talked about, you did video games. I brought up video games. I'm a huge video game fan myself. It's probably yeah. the my favorite form of entertainment, to tell you the truth. Can you ever uh, see video games ever being in the macroverse? Oh, one billion percent. Love so, it. You know, we talk about, we're primarily focused on comics right now for a bunch of reasons, but the real vision for what we're building is a new kind of entertainment studio. And so, oh, okay. comics graphic novels, digital media, games certainly become a part of that, and then ultimately on into animation, film, and TV as well. So when we think about these different, you know, worlds that we're working in, building, creating, you know, ourselves and with collaborators, it's really through that lens where, you know, we're often already thinking about, you know, what could the game that's associated with this be? What could the the TV show that's associated with this be? So, yeah, I'm, I'm a... I've been preaching, you know, for for a decade that I think the future of all of this is multi-experience, multi-format. And I think, you know, watching my kids play Roblox and, you know, live on screens as much as we allow them to, you know, has only confirmed, you know, this, this thesis, you know, for me over and over and over again, that it's, we now have access to anything that we could possibly want at any time. And so our opportunity as storytellers, as creators of content, is to think about how do we give people lots of different doorways into these worlds, into the characters that we love, into the journeys that we want to participate in. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's what's so exciting when you think about building a new franchise, whether it's Von Dingles or our own series like Dead Town, which is this, you know, very crazy, you know, post-apocalyptic zombie world, um, all the other things that we're working on. It's like being able to look at that as a construct, as a universe, as a world and say, you know, what is the TV show version of this? What's the story that's best expressed as a TV show? What's the story that's best expressed as a graphic novel? What's the experience Mm -hmm. that's best expressed as a game? And then how do you tie those things together in a way that's elegant, that feels natural, that feels native, that, you know, is not like, hey, it's a cash grab and I'm just bolting stuff on because I can, but it's all additive to the overall storytelling experience. And so that's the bigger vision for Macroverse. And it just so happens that we see comics and graphic novels as the perfect way to start to build that foundation uh, that grows into that. So the answer, the short answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. So please subscribe, but I'll let you guys promote your stuff because I'm sure you'll do a lot better job than myself. So please promote what you want to promote, socials, where people could help you guys out, the Kickstarter, everything. Go for it. So the, the, the main thing we're excited about right now really is this Von Dingles campaign. I would encourage, again, anyone that's listening to just, just check out the campaign. Help us get egg. Help, help us get egg on Harp's face. That- <laughs> yep. And beard, <laughs> and uh, and then if you're interested in kind of the broader scope of what we're doing, we do have a Discord server, so that's discord.gg/macroverse. And Adam and I like to connect with people that are storytellers, that are creators, that are curious about the world of you know entertainment, and you know fans of this kinds of all the stuff that we talked about today. You know, we we would love for you to just come be a part of this community that we're building. One of the things that people have the opportunity to do inside of that is jump in and create their own stories, utilize their their own characters, their own concepts inside of these 
worlds and franchises that we're building. And so there's a, there's a whole thesis around all that, which we could talk about, you know, at another, another, uh, uh, episode. Sure. But sure. I think that, you know, there's a lot of opportunity at whatever level of participation you're interested in from the casual, just give me great stuff. We've got a lot of great stuff we can put in front of you through the projects that we're working on and through the mobile app, which, you know, again, has a bunch of great content on it. If you're, you know, kind of like, Hey, I've got something I'd like to say. I've always wanted to think about, you know, writing a story or creating a character. Like we have a whole process to actually help facilitate that for people that come into the community community. And then if you're someone that's already a creator of some kind, or you're, you know, ready to kind of jump to the next level, we've got some, uh, some ways to participate in that with us, with us as well. So we like to kind of think about this as like, wherever you see yourself on that spectrum, we are building something for you to play inside of. So that's, again, the, the Discord is discord.gg slash macroverse. You can also find me primarily on Twitter or X, which is uh, at Ebenverse. Um, we are also on Instagram, uh, primarily at macroversehq. Um, and I'll let Adam give his uh, socials as well. Yeah, no, Macroverse is the, is the best place to find me as well. Um, you know, it's I'm not as active on the other on the other stuff, but Adam D P Martin at uh, on Instagram is also also a way to find me. But that tends to be a little more a little more personal, a little less a uh, little less fun, a little less business. <laughs> yes, there you go. And for yes. myself, you yeah. could you could find me on X under Finger Styles, or you could follow the podcast on X, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. You could also find me on Instagram under Finger Styles threads under finger styles just google finger styles everything podcast related comes up it's very easy um, i i try to keep the same handle everywhere where i go so if, if anyone's looking at whatever you're if i'm not on that platform then it's not me so don't worry about it and please rewind to the top of the show support those fine sponsors because if it helps them all most definitely helps me out and most importantly please rate subscribe review on all the major platforms all right gentlemen last question before i let you go quickly since you're both into comics I know Eben collects comics. I don't know if you collected comics, Adam, or if you have a comic collection. Okay, so what is your most valued comic, gentlemen? Ooh, most valued is a hard question. Um, go ahead, Adam. What do you think? I mean, it's funny because I my my comic collection was all 2000 AD, so this oh. you know an English uh, an English publication, okay. and it got lost oh. decades ago oh. in, a, in a warehouse in England. Um, uh, very Indiana Jones, funnily enough. But I would say you know the one that I come back to the most of the ones that I have with me that we brought here is going to be either Arkham Asylum or it's Ooh. going to be Dark Knight Returns. It's going to be one oh, of those two. Nice. So Batman, but yeah, one of those two. Great picks. Yeah. You, you threw me for a loop with the valued part of this question because I could answer with like, what is the most valuable? And I, I do have some things in my collection, which are, are relatively valuable, mostly because I've just been collecting comics for a long time. Right. Um, but I think the the most valued. Um, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit hot take here and go that just because of what it meant to me at the time, you know, the first wave of image releases mm. really did affect me as a creator in okay. kind of the the same way that the Tarantinos and Robert Rodriguez's of the world did, where it was like, oh, you can make your own stuff, 
and you can do very well making it. And so, you know, valuable to me as a, you know, as part of my journey, I would actually have to give it up to the, give it up to Rob and Todd and Mark and, and Jim for that first wave of, uh, of image releases. No, that's awesome. On that note, he's Adam, he's Eben, I'm Steve, this is the podcast. Peace. Peace. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs>